added to my life uh, through the long-term friendships that I have. And I, I understand this topic in a personal way, unlike maybe some topics I try to tackle here. Uh, but as great as some of my friendships were with my childhood, childhood friends, and you had those too, uh, and, and some of my, my college years friends and my friends in my early adult years, and you're like, oh, aren't you still in your early adult years? Well, yeah, but just go along with me. My most significant friendships today are really right here at Faith Community, and I'm excited about this message this morning, and I, I hope it's helpful for you. I want to talk, uh, or I talk to people all the time about friendship and, uh, or their lack of friendships, and almost every week, I'm talking to people who are looking for real friends. I'm talking to parents who are concerned about their kids because they maybe need a new circle of friends. I'm talking to married people whose real problem is they just aren't friends anymore. And I'm talking to people who are saying, man, I've got a friendship, and it's not good for me. And I mean, it's kind of, he's my friend or she's my friend, and it's kind of killing me. It's kind of taking me down the wrong road. How do I end a, a friendship? And probably every person that I talk to at some point along the way, uh, friends have intersected with the major decisions that we've all made, yes? You think about that. Think about the major decisions in your life and the role of friends in that process. Friends are a part of the decisions that we're making right now. And friendship is such a strange thing. It's sort of a chemistry. You know, I can, I can introduce you to people. I can put you in a room and hope that maybe that something clicks. But it doesn't mean you're going to become friends because there's a chemistry about friendship. Friendship is something that we're all looking for but we can't manufacture, right? Something we know and we see it, and yet we can't really make it happen on our own. And again, the reason this is such a big deal is that our friendships influence and sometimes determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Our friends on some level, the people we allow into the inner circle of our lives, they influence and many times they determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Therefore, who's on the inside of our lives, those people who we consider our friends, it's very, very, very important. They are crucial to our development. They're crucial to our social development, to our mental development, to our emotional development, to our spiritual development, because the people that we surround ourselves with highly influence and impact, and in some cases determine the direction and the quality of our lives. So as we get into this, I think it'd be good if we had a definition of what it is we're talking about. So let's, let's talk a little bit about a definition of friendship. I have a definition that I, I want to put on the screen uh, kind of bit by bit here. And we're going to use this definition as we work through this message this morning um, and then as, uh, as we kind of dig into this over the next few weeks. Number one, friendship is a relationship. It's a relationship that's characterized by three essentials. Number one is it's characterized by enjoyment. So that's the first key word here in our definition, is enjoyment. The reason your friends are your friends is because you enjoy being with them. And if they're really your friends, I'm going to guess that they enjoy being with you. A friend is someone that you look forward to seeing. It isn't like, oh, man, we got to go put up with this thing again, you know. When are we going to get to leave? We need an escape route here. It isn't that kind of thing. A real friendship, you enjoy it, and time just flies by. And secondly... It's a relationship characterized by acceptance. A friend is someone that uh, you can be with. You can say whatever you feel you need to say, and it isn't likely going to come back to bite you, and you feel totally accepted. You can lose your temper. You can blow off steam. You can be critical of each other. You can be critical of other people. That can be a sport all in and of itself. You can just be yourself, and no one's going to reject you in this relationship. You don't feel like your relationship's on the line because you're completely accepted. We're going to come back to that one. And then number three, it's a relationship characterized by genuine concern. 
That is, this is a relationship where the person who's in this relationship with you is in this relationship for you. They're not just in it for themselves. They're not in it for what they can take out of it. They're in it for you. There's a mutual thing going on. You care for them and they care for you. It's a relationship characterized by enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. Let me tell you my observation and the things that I've heard and seen over nearly 30 years of church ministry. My observation is this, that most of the people that I talk to, their friendships are characterized by enjoyment and acceptance, and it stops there. Their relationships, the people they would call their friends or consider friends or look forward to spending time with, those relationships where there's a great deal of enjoyment and there's acceptance, and, that, and it basically stops there. I mean, enjoyment? I mean, yeah, that's important. That's why we have friends. It's, it's how we begin a friendship because we enjoy one another's company. Acceptance? I mean, it's totally the glue that holds this thing together. So let me talk a little bit about, about that one. God created us as relational creatures. And consequently, we are drawn toward acceptance. And when we walk into an environment and we feel accepted, we're just drawn further into that environment. And this is the thing that holds friendships together. Acceptance is the glue. When we feel like we can be ourselves and we're not going to be criticized, we like it there. And if you're like me, we are drawn toward acceptance. God made us that way. We are acceptance magnets. We're just drawn in that direction. Our hearts move into an environment, and we're drawn into an environment of acceptance. And you know something? You, you might think somehow that you're, that's a flaw or that's a weakness, but God made us to function that way uh, in our interactions with human beings. It's this acceptance thing that makes us, uh, for, for many of us, makes home the place we want to be. Because for many of us, we can't wait to get home because it's like, ah, I can just turn off and I can be myself and I can be who I am and I like it here. It also explains why some of you would rather be anywhere else, anywhere other than home because you want to be where you're accepted for who you are. This acceptance thing explains something else, explains why some of you maybe are in relationships that you don't need to be in or you're contemplating relationships that you don't need to be in. Or maybe you're in one and this is why you can't leave. Because where we find acceptance, we tend to lock in, and it's because God made us as relational beings. Let me say this about acceptance. In a relationship where there's um, a high level of enjoyment and there's a great deal of acceptance, if the acceptance drops off, regardless of how much enjoyment there is, the relationship will eventually end. Because no matter how much you enjoy certain things with a person, if the acceptance thing is no longer there, the relationship eventually ends because acceptance overpowers enjoyment, but the opposite is not true. Think, think of this. Acceptance is so strong, and it's such a driving force in friendships and relationships, that we will stay in, in friendships and in relationships where circumstances have made the relationship far less enjoyable, but because acceptance is there, we stay. And you're probably thinking of some examples like that right now in your life. Some of you, maybe you've stayed in relationships where there's been a high degree of, of immorality and you felt guilty all the time, uh, but you, you stayed in the relationship. You didn't even really enjoy it, but you stayed. It's because there's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of acceptance. You're willing to uh, sacrifice your convictions because there's this thing, there's this chemistry, and you just can't seem to break away. And acceptance 
is a powerful, powerful driving force behind our friendships. It's the thing that uh, holds them together, but it's not enough. Enjoyment and acceptance are not enough for a real, genuine, authentic, long-lasting, significant, impactful friendship. Enjoyment, acceptance, genuine concern, two out of the three isn't enough. The truth is, if you're in a relationship, maybe with a group of people or with an individual, and there's a high degree of enjoyment, and there's a high degree of acceptance, but along with that, there's some guilt, and there's pain, and there's just stuff that you wish you could just deal with and it would go away, maybe what God wants to say to you this morning is this, that I created you, I created friendship, I have a standard for friendships, and I want you to adopt my standard, and when you do, you will experience friendship at such a level at such a depth that really nothing compares to that. But in order to do that, we have to renew our minds. We have to begin to see friendship the way that God sees it and allow it to function in our lives the way God intended for it to function. He knows uh, that my friends and he knows that your friends will influence and in some cases determine the direction and the quality of our lives. This third characteristic of friendship is the thing that we call genuine concern. It's Genuine concern is... It's when I'm more interested in what's best for you than I am interested in what's best for the relationship. Just let that one settle in a little bit. It's when I'm more interested in what's best for you than I am what's best for this relationship. It's when I put you, uh, what's best for you ahead of what's best for us. It's when I'm willing to potentially even sacrifice the friendship for the sake of doing and saying what's best for you. That's genuine concern. It's when... The relationship kind of takes a back seat to the individual in the relationship. It's when you're, you're in the relationship for me and I'm in this relationship for you. Genuine, authentic, mutual concern for one another. That's what makes a friendship something that you just can't replace and you wouldn't let go of it for anything. So there's a high degree of enjoyment you can, and, and you can be you know, who you are, but you know, bottom line, that that person is there for you and you're there for them. So I think these three things make up... Uh, uh, what a real authentic friendship is, and we're going to use that as our definition. Most of us in this room have experienced friendships where all three of these things have been in place. All of us have experienced friendships where we've had the first two, and we've hoped to have the third, and then over time we discover that's not really there. And it's, it's this discussion that makes something that Jesus said so incredibly significant. So I want to look at a passage in the Gospel of John, um, and these are the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. In these verses, Jesus uh, sets the standard for friendship that he wants me to hold to and he wants you to hold to. And uh, this is going to kind of be the springboard for our conversations over the next few weeks here uh, on Sunday mornings. John 15, verse 12. These are the words of Jesus. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So he says, look, when you think about your horizontal relationships, okay, your relationships with other people, when you think about your relationships with each other, the standard isn't enjoyment. The standard isn't just acceptance. The standard is love, which means I'm in this for you. You're in this for me. Here's the part that just blows my mind. Here's how he defines it even more. Like, what do you mean by, you know, I've loved you? What do you mean by that? Verse 13, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's like, just in case you missed it, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love the kind of relationship where you're willing to sacrifice not only the relationship, but hold on, you're willing to sacrifice your very life for this other person. In other words, friendship isn't about maintaining a friendship. That's not the goal. Friendship is about the other person. It's about being in a friendship where there is genuine mutual concern. 
And then here's the part that takes my breath away. Verse 14. You are my friends. Jesus, the Son of God, says to you and me, you are my friends. Think about that. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Look at that. Jesus, <laughs> Savior, Son of God, Creator, says to mere mortals, I'm giving you permission. In fact, I'm, I'm inviting you to relate to me, not as big old mysterious God out there somewhere out high on a hill, you know, forevermore and put on your church tone. Not that. He says, look, I'm inviting you to relate to me as a friend, as friend. It's an unbelievable thought. You know what the qualification is? Because he's talking to men who already believed that he was the Messiah. He said, the only qualification for this, I'm a friend, you're a friend kind of thing, he says, I want you to love other people. Because when you're loving other people, you're loving me. That's how you express love to me. You love other people. That's how we're going to do this friendship thing. And now I invite you to be my friend. Here's what he says, verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. This is what I don't want you to miss. Jesus Christ did at least two things in this passage. He defined what real friendship's all about. It's not just about enjoyment. It's not just about acceptance. It's about this give and take thing where I'm in it for you and you're in it for me. And then secondly, he said, not only am I setting the standard, I'm modeling it for you because you can consider me your friend. And the most incredible thing, and maybe this will be an encouragement to you, is that the people who watched Jesus, uh, they came to this conclusion. They accused him, actually. And you know what they said? They said, this man's a friend of sinners. He hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And if you think tax collectors is a bad thing now, you know, you should have been in first century Israel, okay? So sinners and tax collectors. So sinners is one thing. Tax collectors just goes to another level. And they're like, as we've watched this guy, the worst elements of our society like him. People who are nothing like Jesus liked him. They like him, and he likes them, and they hang out, and it's so weird, and it's so, like, unreligious, and it's just so uncool, and it's just so unacceptable, and these awful, low-life scumbag people, they like Jesus, and he likes them, and they spend time together. It's like they're friends. It's unbelievable. And they accused him. Because, you see, he passed all the criteria for friendship with flying colors. Enjoyment, acceptance, genuine concern. And when we think enjoyment... And you're like, well, I don't, I, when I think of a friendship with Jesus, I don't necessarily think enjoyment. I think, you know, oh, every Sunday morning and the long sermons and the music that's not that great. And I don't even really know. I don't even like the people here and I can't have any fun. That's what I think of when I think friendship with Jesus. You know what he said in the same passage? He says, I'm telling you this so that your joy may be complete. And enjoyment is usually about your circumstances. But joy is about something on the inside of you that allows you to be happy, allows me to be happy regardless of our circumstances. So there's enjoyment and then acceptance. I mean, let me, let me kind of paraphrase a verse the Bible says in Romans that basically you didn't give a care about God. Like when you were running like crazy from Jesus, he came after you and then he began accepting you and pursuing a relationship with you long before you had any interest in him. The Bible says it this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He accepts us. He accepts you the way you are today. And that's really what Christianity is all about. 
And talk about having our best interests in mind. It's what we celebrate every time we get together. That he hung on a cross and he died for your sin. He died for my sin. And he proved once and, all, once and for all by expressing this ultimate sacrifice that he was more interested in what's best for you and what's best for me than simply maintaining a friendship. Think of it this way. If Jesus had really wanted to make friends, I mean, if you've ever read any of the words of Jesus in the Gospels, if Jesus really had wanted to have the biggest pool of acceptance that he could possibly have, there are some things that he probably shouldn't have said. I mean, he never should have said, I'm the only way to heaven. That's not a recommended way to make friends. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm so-and-so, and I'm the only way to heaven. Can we be friends? Uh, you're going to keep walking. You just don't make a lot of friends that way. He shouldn't have said, you know, the Father sent me and I'm from God. He shouldn't have said that either. Several times he spoke to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders and he called them things like hypocrites and vipers and he called them sepulchers, you know, graves. And he's like, you, you don't say those kinds of things when you're trying to make friends. But here's what we need to hear. That your Savior, my Savior, was more interested in what's best for us. And he potentially sacrificed a relationship with who knows how many people because he had to tell the truth. He had to tell the truth about himself. He had to tell the truth about sin. He had to tell the truth about God the Father. He had to tell the truth about me, and he had to tell the truth about you. And in doing so, he proved once and for all that he is a true friend. And and in doing so, he set the standard for us. And in doing so, he provided a way to have at least that one genuine friendship with Jesus himself. Watch this. I saw this wide receiver play one time in college. Man, he was the best I've ever seen. He caught everything thrown his way. Single coverage, double coverage, didn't matter. And I wasn't the only one who noticed. When he graduated college, the NFL signed him to a four-year, $5 million contract. But there was a clause in it. See, this guy had been caught twice in college with a possession of marijuana. So the NFL, in his contract, put in a strict substance abuse policy. Didn't phase him the first year, though. He broke onto the scene, wowed people with his abilities. At the end of the first season, though, he failed his first drug test. The NFL came out and said, two-game suspension, no pay. But if you do this again, you're going to be banished from the league. So he sat out the two games, and he said he understood. If you thought he was good the first season, you should have seen him in the second season. This was truly his breakout. He set records right and left. He was the only receiver in NFL history to have two consecutive games where he caught over 200 yards. He was one of only two wide receivers to be named All-Pro. At the Pro Bowl, he made all the rounds. He was the guy in all the interviews, all the talk shows. He truly had made it in the NFL. Four months later, he failed his second drug test. At his defense, you know what he said? He said, I I didn't actually do anything. It was just secondhand smoke from my friends. Whether that's possible or not, just think about this. He's admitting to being around the people who are doing the very thing that could cost him everything. I mean, this guy had money, fame, success, and he threw it all away because of the people he surrounded himself with. Isn't that what we do, though? I mean, we all have our tribes, our groups of friends, the people that we hang out with. And we claim they don't affect us. Oh, well, well, it's okay that I'm hanging out with them because I'm not doing what they're doing. But really, 
Aren't we just breathing in the secondhand smoke the whole time? And in, in Proverbs 27, verse 6, we read some words. I think we're going to have them up here. Maybe we could, uh, I could ask you to uh, read them with me because they're very powerful words. And I want to speak to them for just a moment or two. So let's read together. Everybody join in. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, I know that sounds kind of like a funny verse that, that language is not language that you would use normally in a, in a conversation or trying to describe a friendship, really. An enemy multiplies kisses. A kiss was and is a sign of respect. It's a sign of mature friendship. It was like a handshake today. And the Bible says there are people who do the things, they act like, they look like, and they feel like a friend, but... The Bible also says that ultimately they function like enemies because not every relationship that looks like a friendship is a friendship. And here's the catch. Those people don't sit around at night and try to think of ways to destroy your life. On the contrary, their goal is to simply be your friend. They're not enemies in the intentional sense of the word. They're enemies in the consequential sense sense of the word, and I think we just saw a glowing testimony of that. Because they are enemies in the consequential sense, that means in the outcome or in the results of things that happen. And the Bible says there are people who initially look like, act like, and feel like friends, but it is not what it appears to be. So let me tell you what I see here and what I have observed. First off, your enemies can set you back, but your counterfeit friend can ruin your life. See, an open enemy can set you back financially and relationally and emotionally and maybe in your reputation, but a counterfeit friend, that guy or that girl, that group of friends on the inner circle, the ones that sit on the seat of influence in your life, they've got the potential to ruin your life. Let me give you characteristics of a counterfeit. And these are characteristics of a counterfeit anything, not just a, a counterfeit friend. First characteristic, having a counterfeit in life reduces your incentive for seeking out the real thing. You see, if you had a large stack of counterfeit $100 bills and you're getting away with passing them out and using them, I wonder how motivated would you be to work, to earn real money? I mean, why go out to earn the real thing when I've got plenty of the fake thing? Whenever there's a counterfeit in your life, whatever that counterfeit is, it reduces your incentive for the real thing. The very same thing is true in a relationship. And the reason some of you today, the reason all of us, every one of us at some time and at every age, oftentimes can't get the quality people in our lives that we need to, the reason is because we are not motivated. We're just so busy, 
Who's got time for new friends? Who's got time for making new relationships? Who's got time for real friends? Hey, I've got my friends. Yeah, maybe they're counterfeits, but I'm swallowed up with them right now, and I haven't got time to worry about real friends. And you see, see, when you are fulfilled with counterfeit friends, there's no incentive to go after the real thing. I've seen this repeated over and over and over again. And no amount of talking and no amount of counseling and no amount of trying to straighten someone out is going to help. The second characteristic is a counterfeit appears to add value to your life, but in the end, it really doesn't. It's, 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 it's more like I'm better off, kind of like leave me alone, I'm doing all right, this is an improvement. This is better than what I had before. But the truth is, you have less value. It appears to add value. Oh, they're my friends. But in the end, you're worse off than when you started. And that football analogy rings very true on this point. And then the characteristic number three, a counterfeit, is hard, very hard, to leave behind. You see, if on your way out today... I were to give you a big bag of $100 bills, and I said, hey, oh, by the way, these are all counterfeit, so would you just take them home and throw them away for me, or maybe you could put them in your fireplace and burn them up, whatever? You say, sure, okay, and you take the bag and you go home, and when you get home, you start thinking about this, and you're thinking, oh, man, I got this whole bag of $100 bills. Surely there's something I can do with this, Right? I mean, there's some way I can use this. I mean, really, who wants to put a stack of $100 bills in the fireplace? Man, that is hard to do. There must be something I can do that can be salvaged. I mean, just burn them, just destroy them, just discard them? That just doesn't seem right. Let me tell you something. The same is true of the counterfeit friend. They are just really difficult to move out of the center of your life. Because they are friends, and God loves them, and God loves you, and God loves me, and what's going to happen, and aren't we supposed to be Christians, and doesn't that mean we're real friends with everybody, and all that same argument over and over. Counterfeit friends are really, really difficult to get rid of. And let me tell you, how you can spot them. Nobody looking around now. (laughs) Start by simply evaluating the direction of the relationship. Where is it going? Now let me share with you something about relationships. Relationships never, real relationships, never stand still. Never. If they're standing still, they're dead, and if it's dead, it's not a relationship. Relationships are always moving in some direction. Every relationship is either growing or it's dying. Relationships are like living organisms. And in order to find out if it's a counterfeit relationship... You need to evaluate the direction of the friendship. Where is this thing going? Because it's going somewhere. It's not standing still. But here's our tendency. 
Our tendency is to evaluate relationships based on right now, this minute. So we do a 48-hour swing in our minds, and we tell ourselves, this is what's going on. And this is how I'm doing. And this is how the friendship's going. So somebody says to me or says to you, uh, how are you and your spouse doing? Uh, let me see. We haven't had a fight in like uh, two days. Oh, we're doing great. Or you think, uh, let me see, how are we doing? Uh, well, last night wasn't too good. Hey, we're not doing very good at all. And we judge everything on the last 24 or 48 hours. We're interested in the now. We're not looking at the big picture. That's not how you evaluate the health of a friendship. You need to get, you need to get a feel for the general direction. And you re, need to really drill down and know where that relationship is. Now, here's what it looks like. <laughs> if your relationship started here, we'll say, right where I am, it's going to grow, it's going to move, it's going in a direction. And you want it to be over here, way over here. You want that thing to grow. You want it to be healthy. You want it to be helpful. You want it to be wholesome and moral and have value. So you see that this is where it started, and that's where you want to be. But you've noticed something recently. You've kind of noticed something. It may not be real obvious, but, but you're noticing something. Are you noticing something? This is not the direction you want it to go. And every little bit of that, it's moving in the wrong direction. And for every step it goes in the wrong direction, it gets harder and harder and harder to end. And let me just tell you, as that continues, eventually what's going to happen is this is where you're going to be. Not over where you are planning to be, intending to be, wanting to be, should be, but you're going to be off in the wings somewhere, definitely in the opposite direction. Now, here's a word of advice. To wait until things are so out of hand to realize that it's a directional thing. Hey, we have a problem. To wait until you see that you're almost off the edge over here is foolish because you, every one of you, every person I'm speaking to, every person seated, every person standing, because you are smart enough to know where that relationship is going with every friend and every associate you have. And God wants you and I to make decisions about our relationships, not based on where they are now, but on where we sense they are heading. So what are we supposed to do? Well, let me give you the big picture. And let's concentrate on something for just a moment or two. I'm going to put a a diagram on the screen and have you look at it. See several concentric circles on the screen. (coughs) Imagine a small circle, and then imagine or see or look at or concentrate, fix your eyes on a bigger circle, and the smaller circle is inside the bigger circle. Let's just pick on the blue circles right now. So that smallest of circles is inside the larger circles. Those are called concentric circles. 
The small circle is your circle of influence. Those are the people in your life that are close to you. And those are the people who influence you. And all of us have them. You say, I have no friend. You have somebody that influences you. You have somebody that makes your engine tick. You have somebody that suggests something and you do it. You have somebody that says, jump, and you say, how high? There's somebody in that inner circle, your circle of influence. And outside that circle is the circle of concern. So the inner circle, the closer circle, is the circle of influence. Outside is the circle of concern. Now those are the people, first off, that we're concerned about. They don't necessarily influence us in all of our decisions, and we may not influence them either, so I don't know what kind of relationship we really have there, but we care and we, we're concerned about them and we, and, and we really do feel for them. Now, what you and I must do is when it becomes clear that we have a counterfeit friend who looks like, feels like, sounds like a friend, but is not the real thing, our only hope is to somehow, and here's my warning, here's my warning, it's never easy, it's always messy, somebody always gets their feelings hurt, Somebody always gets wrong ideas, but somehow, some way, you've got to move them out of the circle of influence and into the circle of concern. Or listen to me, you are history. Because you and I can't be to them what God has called us to be to them as long as they are sitting in the seat of influence in our lives. And I know that runs contrary to what people tell you today, and it runs contrary to the way our society works, and it runs contrary to worldly thinking. But just because someone's hanging around with you, just because somebody seems like they're affixed to you, doesn't mean that they're your best friend and should be in your circle of influence. Or that eventually they're going to be a great help to you, not a hindrance. Because we've become the influencee when that happens, rather than the influencer. And to change that around, it is messy. It is uncomfortable. It is emotional. You might come off looking like a jerk. There's just no easy way to do it. But, for the sake of your survival spiritually and emotionally and relationally, maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's future friendships, maybe something else, maybe your business, maybe it's some contacts that you have out in, in the world somewhere else, maybe somebody that God wants to bring into your life. Just for the sake of any of those things, you have to do it. You and I, we have no choice. Solomon still regarded as the wisest man who ever lived, and I'm not going to comment on that. But here's what he said. The companion of fools, and he should have known about this because he had a lot of those. The companion of fools, the companion of counterfeits, in other words, they suffer harm. That's pretty plain. I can't translate or transliterate that in or out. I mean, that's pretty plain. The companion of counterfeits the companions of counterfeits, they suffer harm. I didn't say it, the Bible did. And it's not on the first day. It may not be on the first six months. It may not be on the first two years. It may not be in the first five years. But eventually, when that thing goes south and when that thing goes sour, somebody who should have known better 
is going to end up hurt. You see, relationships don't always fall into neat little categories. Oh, I've got my new friend, and we're just having a great relationship. And it's Yeah, really, how long have you known them? Well, I don't really know them, but uh, I've been hanging out for like 10 days. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, he said he really likes me. No. I, I, I'm telling you, it's not about today. It's a matter of survival, my friend. And I look around this morning and I say, I, I know some of you very well, and, and I know that all of us have been through these things. And there may be an exception or two, but very few, if, if any. It's tough. It's a matter of surviving. And we don't have a choice because we know that our friends, that our inner circle will influence and may determine the direction not only the direction, but the quality of our lives. And that is so, so very, very important. Now, as I've been talking, you've probably been sitting here. I'm going to guess that for some of you, you've been sitting here, and a face or a name has popped into your mind. Well, that wasn't something I did or said. I didn't read your mail. I haven't hacked your Facebook. I'm not in with WikiLeaks. I wasn't sneaking around. I wasn't poking into your business. Listen, this is just so common that I have total freedom this morning to speak on this subject because it affects all of us. All of us probably have been through it in one uh, uh, dimension or another. And if this morning you feel convicted and you are thinking right now, man, I can tell you one thing, Bob, I'm never coming back to this church again. They said they'd be friendly there. And man, you just drove into my yard and all over me. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what you do with what you've heard, but if the Holy Spirit of God has touched a nerve in your heart, please, 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 please do something. Do something. I'm eager to get this message done and about half as eager as you are, but I want to close by addressing that group of people that might be here who say, like many of us have said, that when I think of Jesus, and Pastor Todd alluded to this, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of enjoyment. Well, I understand that, that, I understand that thinking. And um, when I think of Jesus, I don't think of acceptance. Because he's this, and he's that, and he's so high, and I'm so... And boy, there's a big, big gap how are we ever going to get together? And, and when I think of Jesus, I'm not really sure that I, like, I'm not convinced that he has my best interest, Bob, in mind, really, because this happened to me, and my dad did this to me, and my mom wasn't all that she was supposed to be, and we had this problem in our family, and I had this teacher, and we, and I know, they stole your teddy bear, and all the rest of it. How in the world can I be sure that Jesus... How, the, how can I be sure that Jesus himself can be trusted as my friend? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because here's the answer. And when you leave here this morning and you spend time with your friends this week, and I hope you will, real friends, closest friends, inner circle friends, influencers, those are the people who are going to meet all three of these criteria. Enjoyment, acceptance, and genuine concern. 
It's especially true if you have come today at someone's invitation. Let me tell you why. Because when you invite someone to come to church with you, you are taking a risk. That sounds funny. That's why some of you didn't bother this last week or two. You said, I'd like to, but I'm taking a risk. You are risking your friendship. You are. You have actually set up for yourself a potentially awkward situation. You can talk about anything else under the sun. But I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can invite her to church. The person who invited you today, or way back maybe the first time, you've been coming for a while, whatever, that person obviously cares about you very, very much. So much that they were willing to risk your friendship for what they hoped you would hear here this morning. And as you leave today, and as you maybe sit over lunch a little later, or uh, because I've been told that everybody who invited is going to be taking their friend out to lunch, and... Uh, Hey, listen, i got to tell you something. If your friend that you invited showed up and you don't take that person out to lunch, you're a cheapskate. (laughs) And if I was that friend, you'd never see me again, not only here, ever. (laughs) We hear a lot about it in the political world today, but it's called quid pro quo. (laughs) As you spend time at lunch, or maybe you're going to get together this week and you've already set a day, and you're just going to talk and have coffee and whatever, I dare you to ask the person who brought you here, do you really think that the Jesus he talked about on Sunday can be your friend? And maybe the friend who has been brought will even put that question to you before you think of it. So I'm just planting some things in your head. Let your friend tell you how he or she discovered what may seem like a bizarre truth and how that became real in their life. Let your friend share that with you because your friend did more than invite you to a service at Faith Community. Your friend has a concern for you and they wanted you to hear what's being said today and they want to share with you how their life has been enriched and has been changed. So then, because the Lord Jesus Christ is very much alive, and he is, He does not want to be a far-off big brother. He doesn't want to be a a from-a-distance God, way over there somewhere, can't see him, can't hear him, don't know what he's really like, nobody will ever know, just leave it at that. It's not the kind of God we serve. He wants you to relate to him as a friend. And he has proved that, proven it once and for all, because he's given us joy. He's accepted us the way we are. Think of that. Come as you are, we sing here. He accepts us as we are. And he died for our sins. He had no sin. There was no sin found in him. But he took on himself in bodily form all the punishment of all the sins of the world. And my greatest desire for you is that you would understand real friendship. But more importantly, that you would understand friendship in this way and come to know Jesus Christ in a very personal way. In fact, 
If you're already convinced and you are ready to move into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're ready for today to be your moment in time where you begin a new chapter of life as a follower of Jesus, one true and lasting and eternal and faithful friend, if that's where you are in your spiritual journey and you're ready for that defining moment, then I want to do something right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask that we bow our heads. And I'm going to ask that you pray a prayer silently, right where you are. I'm going to kind of lead off, but you don't have to say the words in your mind or in your head that I'm saying. You can change the words. Put them in your own words. And while we're praying this prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to return. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. And if you feel God is urging you and nudging you this morning, to understand this real friend relationship with him, I invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. It goes something like this. Lord, I believe that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. I'm placing all my trust in Jesus' death on the cross as the full payment for my sin. I'm not trusting my background. I'm not trusting my efforts. I'm not trusting my church participation. I'm not trusting my baptism. I'm putting all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did on my behalf. Receive me, God, into your family. I accept your gift of eternal life. And I pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've prayed that prayer or wanted to pray that prayer or thought about that prayer or God has strangely moved in your heart today and in your spirit, I want you to just reach forward and grab one of those Connect cards in the pouch in front of you or behind you or beside you or wherever and just give us a little bit of information. We don't need to know your family history. We don't need to know who you are, where you've been, and why. All we need to know is if you have an eager desire to know more, and to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to help you, and we would love to know that. Just fill that card out, leave it on your seat, or put it in one of the boxes in the lobby. Thank you for listening this morning. God bless you. We love you. We care about you. We're concerned for every one of you, and we ask that God might continue to show you what real friendship looks like.